Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another week. What an absolutely phenomenal round of footy we just had. There's one game in particular that was probably going to dominate the conversation, but we'll get into it. We cannot wait to talk about it. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for today's episode, for the first time in a long time, you have three Lovely ladies talking about footy. It's me, Marissa Lordanic, Marnie Vinyl, and Anna Harrington. We're so stoked to be here bringing you some footy chat. So let's have a quick recap of the results that just occurred. So round five? No, round six. Round six. Time doesn't exist, Marissa. It really, really doesn't. I feel like I always stuff up the round in this particular pod, so... Good stuff from me. Round six, we began with the Suns beating Geelong by 11 points in what was an absolutely cracking contest. North Melbourne beat the Tigers by 19. Melbourne were big winners over the Giants by 37 points in the end. Frio got the Chockeys over Carlton by 42 in another huge win. Brisbane beat St Kilda by five, but we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Collingwood got back into the winners' books. They were winners over West Coast by 24 points. And the undisputed match of the round, Bulldogs beating Adelaide by one point. I hope you've all kind of returned to some sort of like resting heart rate because that game was absolutely insane and frantic and all the other adjectives. So I reckon that's probably where we'll start today's conversation. So, oh, my God. I I don't even have words for it. I watched it live. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't able to watch it live. So I watched the replay yesterday and I thought to myself, if I had watched this live as a Bulldogs fan, I would have simply ceased to exist. It would have claimed me. So I'm really keen on your thoughts as two people that don't have that Bulldogs bias and probably weren't as worried about the result as I was. But Marnie, talk to us a little bit about this game and just how incredible it was well I don't have a Bulldogs bias but I do have an Adelaide Crows bias um in saying that I was so excited for the doggies and I was like sorry dad if you're listening who is a Crows fan but I was really hoping that they got that win in that final final second so I do think this this game is match of the round 100% but also upset of the season no one saw dogs fly to Adelaide like Adelaide are hard to beat Adelaide in Adelaide are incredibly hard to beat especially with that very vocal home crowd that you could hear through your tv they just had the most explosive start and held that lead for the entire game which is such a credit to this incredibly youthful side who was so energetic and they just won the ball in all of the contests, got the ball to ground. So Adelaide couldn't get that control that they really like to have. Dogs created some chaos footy, which meant that Adelaide were kind of uh, surprised, I guess. And they they were forced out of their comfort zone. I assume they expected to be winning that game. They weren't. They were trailing the entire game. It got down to the last 40 seconds where the ball is 30 metres out from Adelaide's goal. You've got 32 players just swarming that ball. I couldn't see what was happening to it. The commentators, I don't think, could see what was happening to it. The ump 
somehow saw what was happening to it because called a free for uh for the dogs and they got the win it was their first win on the road in over 200 days that's incredible go doggies to do that in adelaide i'm so happy for them just, I think you're spot on there, Marty. It's just so gutsy. And, I mean, Adelaide made light work of Melbourne on their home turf, and Melbourne are very good. And we saw what happened when the dogs went up to just GWS. They got they got smashed around the footy that day. So when you consider the injury setbacks they've had, obviously Izzy Huntington being the big one um, and just generally doing it difficult. They're one of the clubs that have hit hardest by COVID um, in terms of having to you know have games postponed and have players recover and obviously when you you get hit for six by COVID it takes time especially for pro athletes to to really find your fitness and groove again so huge it's a sort of it's a sort of win that can really define your culture going forward that can be a bit of a marker that 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 group of players especially some of their younger ones can really reflect on obviously you know since the the premiership breakthrough they've not really been able to reach those heights since so it's a it's huge, and you know, you expect Ellie Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb to to be doing the thing, sort of, you know, week in, week out. But they just had so many contributors, and to to be able to hang on when you've got a fast finishing Adelaide coming at you is uh is certainly something. But yeah, you can't go past it for match of the round, and yeah, hopefully it's something that for the dogs' sake they can build on because sometimes the emotional high of a win like that you can you can come crashing down the next week. So. It, yeah, you'd love to see it be something that they can really kick on and build from because, yeah, just incredible stuff. I saw um, Nathan Burke, the coach, in the post-match interview say that, you know, the last minute was really frantic, but hopefully people will take away that this was a four-quarters great game of footy. It's like, uh, I think we will. Uh, I don't think anyone's not thinking that that was a four-quarters excellent effort from the doggies. It really was. And just the, there were so many things that just contributed to this being an instant classic. And I think, you know, part of it was the parochialism of the Adelaide fans, the absolute silence every time the dogs kicked a goal. It, it's one of my favourite things in sport, just a really partisan crowd not giving anything to an opposition side. It is one of my favourite things that happens and so it was happening a lot in that first quarter and that first kind of half of the game because the dogs their start was just electric you mentioned you know Blackburn Lamb fantastic Bonnie too good was absolutely incredible she was everywhere inside Ford 50 she was just an absolute phenomenon and she had she's been building a really great season considering you know she mentioned she had COVID and she had it pretty bad we spoke a couple of episodes ago about the fever dreams, the thinking that she ate the footy, like it, it obviously knocked her about a bit, but it doesn't seem to be impacting the way that she is performing at all. But it was just, as you said, a four-quarter performance in the most perfect setting for this kind of dramatic game. I don't think anyone fancied the dogs. I think the dogs fancied the dogs because that's how you, you've got to be as a kind of professional outfit. But there was just so much about this game that was phenomenal and fun to watch I can only imagine it was just a delight for neutrals but it was just such an instant classic I absolutely loved watching it credit to the dogs they did it with two players out through injury for about three quarters of the match obviously um getting a concussion 
Um, but the the really heartbreaking one was obviously young Aurora Smith three minutes into her debut, um, tearing her ACL, and I think there might have been some meniscus damage as well. But to to not only push on through that, and as we mentioned before, the dogs have had their fair share of um, gut wrenching injuries. Uh, to outlast the Crows when they would have had you know sort of all the momentum coming home strong, it's it's really just a it's just a sensational performance. And if the quote from Burke was really good as well, Marnie, where he said that there were, he hadn't been a part of a win. This is a guy that had a fair old AFL career as well. Um, I haven't been a part of a win that's been as special as that one. They were amazing today. They not only gutsed out, but played some really, really good footy. They were absolutely cooked. And I just kept asking them to give more and more. And they did, which you, know, you, you can't yeah, ask for great. more than that as a coach or a fan or anyone in that team. So it's, yeah, as I said before, it's one that you think could really define their culture going forward. Adelaide side of things, it, Matthew Clark described it as like a pretty sharp lesson, especially those first couple of minutes. And I reckon that's one where they almost can recalibrate a bit when you when you everything's going so well and you you're winning and winning and winning. And sometimes you can cover up some cracks a little bit when you lose. I think it makes you hone in on them a bit more. So I reckon for Adelaide, it's just, <clears throat> they're the sort of team that will take that loss and go. Okay, here are all the things we did poorly. Here are the things we did well. Let's tweak this. And it might just be a nice little sort of timely late season refresher heading into finals um, to to tweak a few things and maybe make them a bit more ominous heading into heading into the pointy end of the season. I assume it was a lesson for a lot of other teams as well that just watched how you beat Adelaide. I believe Adelaide are coming up against Frio soon. I'm sure Frio were like attuned to everything the dogs did and it shows the dogs are one of several teams that can cause a bit of havoc um it gets quite fun when you got some teams that maybe finals might be a difficult proposition like just because of you know losing early games that sort of thing but you go oh there's going to be a few teams that are going to maybe have a real hand and a real say in who else makes the finals and we're seeing that more and more more and more this season, so it's, uh, yeah, exciting. Generally speaking, short season bad, but if you enjoy chaos and banana skin games, it, it certainly does provide the content there. So cannot wait to see where both the Dogs and Adelaide kind of go from this performance. Let's talk about some of the other games. So the other one that we've highlighted was Brisbane's win over St Kilda. Brisbane kicked 3-13, which is just bad. Like there's no other way. Like you don't. Disgusting. You can't sugarcoat that. You kind of can't, you know, make it into a good thing. It's bad. We spoke last week, Marnie, about how it was an unusually inaccurate round and Brisbane just seemed to carry that momentum into this That hold my beer attitude. (laughs) They were like, a whole round? No, 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 no. We can do a whole round's worth of bad kicking in this one game just ourselves. They did end up getting the win, which I think, you know, credit to them. They eventually found their, their range. They found their targets. But is it too simplistic to say that St Kilda were kind of still in this game thanks to Brisbane's inaccuracy or is there more to it? Not really, no. Like I think the common consensus was Brisbane could have blasted them away if they'd wanted to. We've seen this St Kilda team and we, we know the players they're missing, we know all that stuff. We've seen it on multiple times this year where they've conceded big runs of goals, like consecutive goals, like unanswered. And 
you know, Brisbane really should have inflicted that again. Um, but, you know, when you when a team gives you a massive let off like that, all you can do is go, oh, maybe we've got a chance here and try and make the most of it. And that is what St Kilda did. Brisbane gave them the window through their own poor kicking. Yeah, they should have put the game away. And you see this time and time again, right? Um, and St Kilda got so close to pinching it. So it's, it's a difficult one, right, because Brisbane really should have not necessarily thumped them, but beaten St Kilda comfortably. But then once Brisbane stuff it up, it is it's a decision this, the Saints players and coaching staff can make to go, maybe we're on to something a bit here today. Obviously, results-wise, it didn't work out in the end and Brisbane were able to hold on. But, yeah, it's, it's a bit like that. For Brizzy, I will say that the wind was a huge factor and we're seeing this more and more when it comes to these games played in the height of summer with the wind. We saw it at Casey Fields as well with Melbourne. Like the wind is absolutely impacting ball movement and especially when it comes to kicking and kicking inaccuracy. In saying that, all of my notes for this round just had Brisbane kicked 313 with about 20 exclamation marks because they are the reigning premiers. If the wind is causing havoc, they still need to be able to control it a lot better than that going up against St Kilda. Could you imagine if they lost to St Kilda? St Kilda kicked more goals than them. Isn't that incredible? St Kilda kicked four goals. Yeah, they literally won on behinds. I don't think they're going to be too happy about that. And one thing that was a shame to see was um, Dakota Davidson, who was, um, I guess, had come back from that leg injury, copped a head knock. I think she'd already been looking a bit proppy and you, you don't like to see it. So hopefully she's doing all right. The other thing with St Kilda is we know, I, I think we've discussed this at this point, you go, well, a line is through Georgia Patricios and obviously Tiana Smith, who's injured. Like, But they were missing a couple of others through their midfield. Um, Liv Vesley is the one that really stood out. Like every time I've reported on their games, she's been the one that's sort of been in and under and and making a bit of an making a bit of an impact and really making her presence felt. Um, and Rosie Dillon wasn't there either, and she's been quite physical and quite a presence for them and also knows how to sneak forward and get goals. So it's no surprise that, um, you know, Brisbane sort of dominated the midfield. It's, it's probably a, a maybe a little bit of a credit to, to the way St Kilda structure that they're able to force Brisbane into slightly more difficult spots like kicking. But, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be stretching it a little bit if I said that. The other one positive for um, St Kilda was, was Nicola Zenos coming in kicking a couple of goals, looking really lively. She's obviously really highly rated there, coming back from that long uh, knee injury layoff, kicked a couple. Um, Brisbane would have loved to have had someone that efficient um, around goals for them. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit more of the same, unfortunately, for St Kilda results-wise. Yeah, I think coming into this season, one of the biggest questions everyone had was what's going to happen to St Kilda's midfield, especially with those two main players out for very different reasons and now five losses under their belt it I think that concern is definitely warranted but we are seeing I think a lot of potential for this young side they're definitely in a building year there's no denying that but they've got some good blocks there I think Lily Lucas Rod gets a massive shout out she's been such a consistently good player for this entire season and having her racking up, you know, 20 disposals, 17 kicks, five marks of one goal, which was in this round, that's huge. She can't be understated as being such an impactful player for this team. Zanos, as you said, I think Tani White's going to be great. Bianca Jacobson, they all have such an impressive work rate. 
So as this team builds, they're going to be fundamental to that. Since Saints, you know, they're not making finals this year, but going forward, we can see a lot of potential there. And it's credit to Lucas Rod as well, because I think she was earmarked as playing in defence for the year and then they had to sort of shuffle the magnets a little bit with with those player unavailabilities, um, as you say, Marnie, for two very different reasons. Um, but, yeah, it is it is a credit to some of those players that have been able to step up and try and make a, a difficult season their own. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. They're at the bottom of the, the ladder, Sinkilda, and we talked about those runs of goals they've conceded. But in some ways, I feel like there'd be things that you'd like as a St Kilda fan more than, say, what maybe Carlton fans have seen or maybe West Coast fans have seen who are, you know, who have got that win, win over them. But, yeah, <laughs> it's tough when you haven't got any points on the board, I guess. I'm glad you mentioned Carlton fans and Carlton because that's a lovely segue into some chat about Carlton. It, it was a, another loss against Frio. It was, I feel like there's been a lot of, not confusion, but just it's really hard to read Carlton and what exactly is going on. So I want to start this conversation with, are we like putting a line through them? They're not playing finals this year. We need to find something else for them to kind of take from this season. I think so. And I think it's really interesting with Carlton where that confusion comes in and a lot of disappointment that I'm seeing from a lot of their fan base. A lot of the teams that are doing incredibly well and are kind of mainstays in that top six are a lot of the foundation clubs. Carlton is one of the foundation clubs who seems to be floundering a little bit, especially what two seasons ago they looked to be in right form. Last season they ended up seventh on the ladder. It would be take a bit of effort to get back to seventh for this year. I don't see finals happening so I think there is that confusion because from the start of this league's inception they've kind of been dubbed as one of the best teams they've got such a huge and passionate fan base they are in a lot of the promo for the league so they feel like one of the the big teams who should be up there with Adelaide and Frio but they're just not really finding that cohesion at the moment they cannot get their rhythm I did write for ESPN uh, in my round column that it did feel like they found some sort of rhythm in that first half and especially that first quarter of this game they had good transitions they had repeat entries in their forward 50 they were setting up their structure well they looked a lot more cohesive and it was that much needed just lacking of late rhythm and Darcy Vessio keeps the first major of the game eight minutes in, but it was the last goal that their side would kick for that entire game. I mean, the tide turned completely purple and going against Frio, sure, that could happen. They're one of the best sides. I don't think it's any surprise that they controlled the game and just ran a kind of a riot over Carlton. But it was so disappointing to see Carlton kind of get into the swing of things and then just completely drop it, especially because they've got such good players. Grace Egan registered 22 disposals. Mimi Hill just coming back from that ACL absolutely on fire. She had 25 disposals, 11 kicks, three marks, four tackles. That's so impressive. Maddie Prasparkas is racking up consistently good disposals. It's confusing, I think, from a fan base to just be, why, why not? 
I think one thing you can point to is an average losing margin of 36 and a half over their past four games. Like, the, at the, if you look, you've got 42-point loss, 39-point loss, 30-point loss, 35-point loss. You're not going to be winning many games if you're getting that many goals kicked on you on a regular basis. Uh, an easy way to, you know, get yourself back into games is to be really tight defensively and, you know, there's an element of is it coming from the midfield. We, we've seen different forwards get a hold of Carlton at different times. Young, young Michaela Morrison won the Rising Star this week for, for three goals, um, which is really exciting for her, a young player who missed um, her debut season. I think it was appendicitis that um, ruled out a lot of her season. Um, you know, gets a hold of them. It's, and it seems to, you know, it can't not be a pattern when four weeks in a row you've copped, you know, more than five goal losses it's there's clearly something not going right there like as you say mate, there's some really quality players um you mentioned Darcy Vessio we know that Matt what Maddie Prasparkas can do we know they've had players like Nicola Stevens around there for a while they recruited players like Elise O'Day Jess Dalpos they've lost a bit of grit in the Hoskins over the last couple of seasons and they lost Taylor Harris and I think that that move was viewed as sort of best for both parties to move on. But, you know, you could always sort of count on her as a, a get-out kick down the line or at least a, a target up forward. And she's obviously thriving at Melbourne now. But I don't think that's the difference there. Is when you're copying these big scores, it's it makes it so difficult to get yourselves back in the game. Like, it's – I think there's a fair bit for them to be worried about. They've I think the last few years been a team that you look at and you go – yeah, they should be there or thereabouts. Obviously, we know they copped that grand final, lost to Adelaide, um, which, you know, taking on Adelaide in a front of a packed house um, with a parochial crowd is no easy feat and they really could hold their heads high after that defeat. But you just, yeah, it, they've just not been able to find the same gear since. And we know it's been a couple of COVID-disrupted years, but I feel like that internally they surely would have had some hopes of being a, a bit closer to the mark than they have been and... When you look at, yeah, you know, they're not bad teams that they've lost to by any mark. You know, it's Fremantle, Adelaide, North Melbourne and Brisbane. So it's been a really difficult run of four games. But it's, um, yeah, it's got to be pretty denting to the confidence to to cop these sort of losses. I mean, over and over. We're not, we're not, we haven't seen a, a tighter defensive performance in any of these. And, yeah, I guess the worrying thing, as you say, as well, Marnie, is they've only two goals across their past two games as well. So it's it seems to be falling down in a few different areas. And I don't know, maybe we'll we'll get, you know, they get a bit of a, a go against St Kilda this week and it'll be interesting to see whether it's Marissa just had a little laugh that they play St Kilda this week and obviously they're not playing one of these teams that's right amongst the contenders. So it'll be interesting to see is it just a matter of fatigue from playing really good teams back to back to back? Or is there something um that's not going right at Carlton at all because, as we've mentioned, St Kilda really took it up to to Brisbane to a certain level over the weekend, and it'll be interesting to see if in these next few these next couple of games, you know, playing St Kilda, playing GWS, do we see Carlton get back to sort of the form that we know we can see, or will we will we see you know the a real indicator of what their level actually is? I, I giggle because I just think that's. <laughs> Both teams will be like, we can beat them, but one of them's wrong, basically. That's that's what I thought when I was doing my tips. <laughs> it's just this could either 
go really poorly or really well for either side and I yeah. don't know which way it's going to to flop. Um, also, just speaking of tips, I didn't tip the dog, so I was one away from a perfect round, but my team won. So it was one of those situations where I, lo- I lost, but my team won. So it was... It was okay. I can't imagine many people were tipping the dogs this round anyway. Let's move on to a handy point. We're going to probably, I can imagine this is going to be a lengthy-ish conversation. So we'll get into it. The, The nature of this league, the structure of this league, the way it is set up when it's played, all of these things impact the competition. If you are a long-term fan of the AFLW, this is not a new sentence to you. You are very familiar with this topic of conversation. But over the past couple of weeks, and particularly this past round, it just feels like all of the the usual grievances about the AFLW have kind of culminated into this giant snowball that simply cannot be ignored. So our two kind of main points of contention were the weather and what happens when you play a professional competition in the middle of summer and just the semi-professional nature of the AFLW and how this obviously has an impact on players but also the way in which it's viewed by the wider community and how it's actually discussed in the wider community. So they're two technically separate topics but they all fall under the one umbrella of kind of how this competition is actually run and structured and played so I'm happy for either of you to kind of take the lead if you want to talk about the semi-professionalism aspect or the weather aspect or if you've got a, a beautiful way to kind of combine the two but the floor is yours we need to have this conversation because it's unfortunately a, an almost permanent fixture of this league Marissa, it feels like it's a women's sport conversation. We've we've seen it um, in the A-League women this week as well. Um, a friend of the pod, Sam, Sam Lewis, who's on the far post with us, did a great article for ABC about this semi-professionalism. But the way into it here is uh, last night I was just on Twitter. Don't advise it. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I was looking and you see Collingwood have posted a photo of Sophie Alexander in her paramedics uniform and the, the tweet is, our athletes are more than just that. Sophie Alexander arrived at training tonight straight from a full day's work as a paramedic. And then one of their media team uh, quote tweeted it saying like, it's taking snaps at training tonight and witnessing not just Sophie, but multiple girls having to arrive at training late due to work commitments. It's bloody crazy how inspiring these women are. And no, you know, like Patty who works at Collingwood is clearly meaning that in a good way, but these women shouldn't have to be inspiring that in that way. Sophie Alexander shouldn't be having to do a full day's work as a paramedic, then go to training. These women shouldn't have to be late to training, missing training, unable to fulfill their commitments as an athlete because they have to work full time. And it's this, it's this real sort of inspiration porn thing that you see with women's sport lately. It's, it's really kicked into to overdrive but the good thing is I think the community is really pushing back and saying it's not okay these women shouldn't have to be juggling work and sport and I think it's been magnified with COVID because you see teams you know effectively hubbing having to travel people having to put their careers on hold 
we've seen across different leagues players having to miss games because they can't make these decisions and it's really just shown that it's it's enough is enough isn't it like we see the AFL talking about oh we want to be the highest paid women's sporting league by 2030 or something it's like if you wanted to do it you could do it right now (laughs) you could take a a pinch of what you're paying executives or you could have a little levy coming out of men's salaries or different caps or money that you're, you're injecting into into a Gold Coast is, is an easy example, right? There is a way to make this league professional. And I think that's what, what gets lost. People think, you know, oh, these women are asking for big equal pay to the men. They're not. <laughs> they should just be able to, to do this full time. And I think it's the first thing that sort of ties into it is you've got these, these women who are a lot of them, they're obviously aged generally from what, 18 to 35. So there's a lot of things that can happen in your life. And if you're a footballer, if you're an athlete, you should be able to do what the men do and talk about, okay, you're going to be prepared for life after footy, which means that you should be able to have your career as an athlete, however long that lasts, and be preparing for the next stage of your life. Unfortunately, these women are having to do both at once. So they're trying to advance in their careers and that's being stuttered or held back by their athletic aspirations maybe turning down promotions turning down opportunities cutting back workouts using annual leave so they're not you know so they're actually fatigued they're not actually getting to rest properly and it holds back their football as well because of course you're going to be compromised if you've worked a 8 10 12 hour shift and then you've got to go to training or play a game like we're never going to see the best of so many of these athletes if we don't give them the opportunity to to do it full time and it also ties into what we, we saw and credit to, to Lauren Wood from the Herald Sun who was reporting on this and Chloe Malloy actually from Collingwood spoke about the situation over, over the weekend when Collingwood, because of the WA border, did an effective fly-in, fly-out and I think the Blues did the same to, they, to play West Coast and she was saying that, you know, we, know we've, we saw it in the AFL men's season, right, the confined to the change rooms, not able to go out. The difference was apparently this change room had next to no lighting or cooling. It was 34 degrees over there. Players and staff had to share the one toilet. Um, Chloe Malou was telling SEN that there was no lights, one light trying to light up, light up the whole locker room. Ice baths were warm. Two players had to stay inside. There's only three showers, one fan to cool down the, the lockers. And she said, it was not luxurious at all. And if you walked into what we did to try and prepare for a game, you probably wouldn't call it AFLW standard change rooms. And I think one thing that Lauren pointed out is, would we see this for an AFL men's game? I don't think we would. So it's, it just feels like you've got all these factors coming together that are underlying how far we still have to go. And it's really disappointing because these athletes deserve more. That That's Absolutely. where I see it. Yeah, you bang on with a lot of that. And I think we could probably talk for two hours unpacking all of this because there is so much to unpack but it does as you've tied in really well come back to just being a semi-professional league and these athletes not being afforded what they need to play the game and also live their lives and so just to go back to that post by Collingwood and that inspiration porn that you talk about it is as a friend of the pod Sam Lewis mentioned in her piece for ABC, it's a way to not take accountability. So be like, oh, they're so inspiring. Look at all these other things that they're doing, which kudos to them 100%, but that's just not taking accountability to the fact that you're not paying them enough to be a full-time athlete 
like you are to the counterparts in the men's league. And when you also mention where this money comes from, I mean, the AFL found a way to hub 2020, especially the amount of money that was thrown at the men's league to keep it up in the air, they found a way. When they were had their backs against the wall, they found a way. I would definitely say that their backs are also against the wall with the women's league, but what, they're biding their time? They're going to say it's a 10-year instead of right now because they can afford to do that? If they wanted to make it fully professional, I'm sure they could find a way to do it just like they have done with the men's league. Marnie, I know you were quite strong on this. I'm interested in your thoughts because it's something Marissa and I have experienced with um with soccer as well. The weather and a summer oh. competition and the perils of playing afternoon, early or late afternoon fixtures in summer and how debilitating that is. I, I know you're quite strong on that. Oh, absolutely. I actually had someone yesterday who's not uh, a big AFLW, not that he doesn't support AFLW, he just doesn't follow it. And he asked me about uh, why do they play um, right now? Like it's it's quite hot, isn't it? I was just like, yes, it is quite hot. They've, they've had this argument about clean air, which is, I'm trying to think of a word for bull because it's not. It's not clean air. It is the most saturated time of sport. I'm finding, I'm so passionate as a fan and I'm finding it hard to keep up with all of these games. I want to also be following the A-Leagues. I want to be following the tennis and the cricket and the Olympics that are going on. There's so much sport going on. This clean air is absolutely a hollow argument if I've ever heard one. And so you're forcing them to play in the height of summer. We're of course not going to see these athletes give their absolute best that they could possibly be when you are asking them to play in 30 degree heat. And that is also compounded by having change rooms that don't have working lights or air conditioning, or they don't have ice baths that are actually cold and they don't have more than one toilet for everyone to use. Watching them run off at quarter time and put uh, cooling towels straight around their bodies. There was a player and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was, but there was a player who got minorly injured in one of the games on the weekend and they said she was vomiting in a bucket. And I just heard that and thought, well, yeah, because it's 36 degrees. Like, Played at night. Was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I don't see why you can't play these as twilight evening fixtures. Yeah, I know there's element of broadcast, but you're not going to get the best possible, like at the most cynical level. You're not going to get the most, the best possible product. You're not going to have the best quality of play. You're not going to have lots and lots of goals kicked in if the players are falling over you know like and these are top athletes we've talked about that but they're also effectively semi-professional athletes they're in a Mm -hmm. professional environment and you know a lot of the clubs do look to emulate that and give them every opportunity to be but if you're not getting paid the equivalent of the minimum wage across the whole year at at a minimum you're not full-time professional if you're supplementing your income if you're having to as we talk about having to work having to do all these things you're probably not getting the conditioning you require either. And we know the season yeah. got, got moved around as well. It's it's just, it's disappointing because it feels like this is, there's so much room for growth and there is so much excitement around the league. And we saw other teams clamoring to get teams in, but it shouldn't be an, and this is where that inspiration porn comes in again. It shouldn't be an opportunity for clubs and leagues. Women's sports shouldn't be an opportunity for clubs and leagues to feel good about themselves and to get, women and girls invest in the game and to bring new sponsors into the game and to get all these great 
tangible or non-tangible benefits coming into the league if you're not then going to treat it as a as a professional competition it's it's it really is the least they deserve right <laughs> like I mean, also, we're not, I don't think we're asking for anything big here don't play games in the heat of the day let's make these players professional let's give them every opportunity to shine right now you you look at um, you know, Aurora from the Bulldogs who's done her knee three minutes into her career that's going to that's going to affect um, maybe her studies or what she does outside of work. We talked about this with Izzy Huntington. You you basically, you need help to do everything initially after you have a knee reconstruction or if you have a shoulder reconstruction, there's a lot you can't do for yourself. You can't work. And all these things, they, they impact long-term. And, you know, it's also a time where you might be considering having children. There's times you, like there's so many things that come into it with women's sport and it just feels like professionalism is the minimum that has to happen. Yeah, because we want them to also be enjoying their lives and their footy, right? Like, and we talk about, and you've talked a lot and well about juggling careers and um, footy and how that impacts the other parts of their lives. I don't understand how, like, do they have time for brunch with their friends? In like a very, like, I know that's super simplistic, but do they have time to actually have lives outside of this as well and enjoy all those other parts of life that they should be afforded to? If they're all they're doing is working full-time, coming off the back of a full day of paramedics and then going straight to training and then you've got a game in the middle of the week because COVID's disrupted this and we can't afford to give the, like, it all compounds, as you've said. And then you've got to take unpaid leave. And because you take yeah. the unpaid leave, maybe you're not getting superannuation for that bit. That bit. So you're not only, it's not only costing you now, it's costing you down the track. Well, yeah. like, there's so many things that are just not right about it. And we can just do so much better for these athletes and for the staff that are involved, a lot of whom juggle two jobs, like it's across men's and women's programs. It's, it's just, it feels like there's a lot we can do better. But I think the good thing is it feels like a lot of people are sick of it and want to see change. Yeah. And don't want to look at these women as inspirations because they're juggling two careers. Mm. We'd love to see them succeed at both rather than having to do it all at once and having to be it all and be this inspiration up on a pedestal role model that's just impossible to maintain forever, right? I honestly feel like we could just talk about this for hours. (laughs) We really could talk about this for hours because it's such a big conversation and I think you two have absolutely nailed it in what is an admittedly condensed kind of chat and we would we absolutely could fill hours with with this particular topic the one thing I did want to add was basically just the element of frustration at the repetition of this conversation like this is not a new conversation these are not new topics we have spoken about them before fans of the AFLW have spoken about them before the players the coaches pundits and it's not just a footy problem like you mentioned Anna it's across women's sport these conversations are not new and yet we're still here talking about them and bringing them up like they are and the level of frustration repeating yourself and feeling like you're repeating yourself and trying to find the way in which to describe this situation 
so that it gets through to more people, so that more people realise that semi-professionalism is actively hampering this competition. It's just, it's so annoying. I hate the feeling of feeling like I'm repeating myself, that I'm treading over old ground because we, we've we had this conversation before. We've had the the players, you know, talk about how hard it is to juggle things. We've lost players who couldn't juggle and that's not a, a slight on them. That's a slight on this competition and a slight on women's sports everywhere every time we lose a player because it's not financially viable for them to live in this wild juggling act. So for me, the one part of this conversation that's really been eating me particularly is just the absolute just I'm so tired at having to mention this again and having to explain again that semi-professionalism is a problem that does have solutions but we don't seem keen on implementing those solutions and it's well Marnie and I were speaking about it before we we hit record just the desire to move past this conversation because we know that semi-professionalism is the problem. We want to move past that. We want to start implementing solutions. We don't want to have this conversation, but we keep having to and we'll make our points. We'll publish this podcast. People will write articles. It'll be the topic of discussion on panel shows. And then it feels like nothing changes. And that's where the frustration comes in then. Do you repeat yourself when nothing changes? Do you let it slide and then make it seem like it's actually okay when it's not? You just don't want to be the person repeating yourself once again? I don't I don't know. So just for me, barring all the obvious problems that you guys have talked about, it's the fact that we're still talking about it that really, really bothers me and frustrates me and I know I'm not alone in this because there are so many people, like I said, across the footy world and across women's sport who are sick and tired of the fact that we are still having this conversation like it's a new thing rather than actually doing something about it and changing it so we can focus on more important conversations, so we can actually focus on footy and that's the players are being allowed to focus on footy, the coaches, everyone else involved with the game being allowed to focus on footy rather than this goldfish situation where we mention it and then seemingly forget about it and have to talk about it again three seconds later. It's just so frustrating and I don't I don't want this to be the continued conversation in AFLW, nor do I want it to be the conversation across women's sports. We can't keep rehashing this discussion. It serves no one to continue having this conversation. So I will we'll cap it there. But like you guys said, we could really talk about this for hours. And there's so many elements of the conversation that we didn't even get to touch on, which is, again, another element of frustration. But let's have a look at the round that is coming up. We are up to round seven. We're getting so close <laughs> to, to finals. It's insane to think about. But the games that we do have coming up, 
The dogs hosting the Cats on Friday night. The Giants will take on the Crows on Saturday. We mentioned Carlton St Kilda. It's going to be interesting to see how those two teams are faring when they come up against a team that is seemingly more at their level. The Eagles will take on Richmond. That's another game, similar kind of connotations to the Carlton St Kilda one. And then we've got North hosting Collingwood and the Lions taking on the Demons. So some really big, exciting clashes there. We can't wait to talk about them next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you later. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.